I welcome you as we gather this morning for our virtual worship service, or if you're watching during the week and you tune in either through Facebook, if you go back and watch our Facebook Live, or if you um, are watching one of our YouTube broadcasts of this, we pray that as we talk about having a heart for God and understanding God's heart in our lives, that we would learn to see the world a different place. And that's our theme over the summer. God has a heart for people. God has a heart for all of us. He loves unconditionally. And it's our desire to have that heart emulated in our life that we could be more godly in how we live and how we approach our relationship with God and others. This morning's text is actually a very brief passage out of Matthew 29, verse 36. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to it, Matthew 29:36. It is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's a simple prayer that Jesus prays when he says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I want to be clear what Jesus is praying here. He is understanding God's will to be like a cup. And so we have this image of a cup here. And he's knowing perfectly well that this cup has been offered to him by God, and his struggle is, will I accept the cup? And that's the question for you and me as far as God's will in our life. Because the same thing that happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane happens to you and me every single day of our life, and there is a cup that is offered to you. And this cup contains all that God knows that's in it, and it's God's will and God's plan and God's purpose, but we don't know what's inside, and you're not going to know what's inside. You notice this is not a transparent glass. This is a clay cup, and you can't see what's inside. And that's exactly how it was offered to Jesus in the garden. It was offered to him directly without him having the knowledge of what was inside of it. And his prayer was, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you. You see, we've been trained to think that we have more control than we do in our life. Everything that we've experienced as Americans wants us to believe that we can control our own destiny and take charge of everything in our life. But the truth is, the scripture makes it clear, that there's much that we don't have control of. Why, this morning we were commenting after lawn chair worship on what an absolute beautiful day we had again and how every single Sunday this summer it's just been lovely and we've been sitting under the trees and it's been warm and there's been no rain, but different times we were told that it was supposed to rain on Sunday morning. We've prayed, we've trusted God, we've accepted what's been given to us, but we had no control over whether or not there would be rain. The question today... A cup is being offered to you. The cup is being offered to you by God. You don't know what's inside the cup. And you're not going to know what's inside the cup. It holds God's will for your life, God's plans, God's future. There's good things in it. There's things that you're going to struggle with. Are you willing to accept the cup? It's really that simple. And that's the message I want you to take with you this week. When we face things that we don't know, Am I able to accept the cup that God offers to me? 
There's two different times, Matthew tells us, that Jesus prays the same prayer. We get a glimpse into the humanness of Jesus. This is one of those moments in which we know that our Savior is fully divine and fully human, and you completely see the humanness of Jesus coming out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because it's within 24 hours that his life is going to end on this earth. And he's there in this human experience, two different times, praying this prayer. If it's possible for this cup to be taken away, let it be taken away, but nevertheless not my will, but yours be done. We need to understand what Jesus was thinking and talking about when he was talking about God's will and the future as being a cup. One of the translations, it's a New Living Translation, will actually translate this cup of suffering. Now, that's not in the original language, but as we go back and we read the story, and we all know the story of what lies ahead for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know that within a short time he's going to be arrested, he's been betrayed, he's going to be humiliated, he's going to be stripped, he's going to be beaten, a crown of thorns is going to be put on his head, and he's going to die, and we know he's going to go through suffering, so it's sort of natural in reading the story to go back and say that the cup is a cup of suffering because we know the suffering that he's going to go through. But it's interesting, Jesus at that moment wouldn't be thinking that. Jesus would have been thinking what the scriptures talk about, a cup. And in the Old Testament book of Psalms, sometimes the cup is a cup of blessing. Sometimes it's all the good things that happen in our life. And sometimes it's a pain and suffering, and sometimes it's judgment. And it's all described in the scriptures as a cup. And so at that moment when Jesus is there alone in the garden and two different times prays his prayer to the Father, he's asking if it's possible for this to be taken away. He doesn't know if this means that there's good things coming ahead or bad things. He certainly has his suspicions about what is about to take place, but he doesn't have full knowledge of everything that's going to transpire in the future. So think about it again for us. Because the same thing is offered to us every single day. God hands you a cup. You don't get to see what's inside it. It's not transparent. We don't know what's in there. But it's God's will and God's plan for the future of your life. And you and I would like to have control. And we'd like to know what's inside the cup. And we're not allowed to. Are we willing to accept the cup? Am I willing to say yes to God and to be obedient and to know that God has plans and purposes beyond anything that I can imagine? And as I'm going through experiences where it seems like, how in the world have I submitted myself to God's will? How did it get me to this place? Can I continue to trust and be faithful and know that God has it all worked out? We can't see inside. And yet we know it holds something. And so in this prayer that Jesus prays two different times in Matthew's gospel, we get an understanding of how Jesus helps us to accept that cup from God. And that's really what God's will is about. It's about learning how to accept it and how to be obedient. And the first thing that we learn is Jesus begins with a very simple statement. He says, my father. And in that address, as he begins his prayer, he starts to show us how to accept God's will in our life or that cup that's offered to us. Because to begin with, I need to know who I'm talking to. I can't talk to just anybody. 
If I'm going to accept a cup, and I'm going to accept it as God's will, I need to know that it comes from God. And Jesus doesn't just say, oh, divine being, oh, great creator who's out there who is mysterious and we may or may not know who you are. He doesn't say, oh, miraculous one or one that I don't understand. He begins instead with two words. He says, my father. He knows who he's talking to. And for us to accept the cup that God gives to us every single day, we need to know who we're talking to. We need to know who's addressing us and who we're praying to. The Greek reads two words. It's ego pater. Now, we know the word ego. No, it's not those little toaster things that you put in Sunday morning when you're running behind and trying to have breakfast. Ego is what gives us the word ego. It means I or my or mine. Pater gives us the word padre. Father. Jesus is praying to my Father. He doesn't pray to just anyone. He doesn't accept this cup from just anyone. He's not in the garden and some random person walks up to him and says, here, I have a secret plan for your life. Trust in me. He trusts in my Father. Throughout his life, from the time he was a little boy, he was growing up, and Mary and Joseph had certainly made it clear that Mary was his mummy, but our Heavenly Father was his father. And Joseph was clear that Jesus had a heavenly father, just like we do, only he didn't have an earthly father. He only had his heavenly father, and his heavenly father was the one who he had learned to trust in throughout his life, his daddy, his one that he could constantly talk to. In the Lord's Prayer, we address it each time we pray. We don't say, oh, gracious God, or oh, God of the universe, we say, our Father. We begin with those same words, our Father. Now, I understand that people have had all kinds of different relationships with fathers or father figures in their life, and some people have had really bad experiences. I was fortunate I had a wonderful father, and I have a great relationship with my dad, who passed on a number of years ago, and so I can only imagine God as a father as being even more amazing than that, But as we address God as this heavenly parent, if we've had bad parents or unfaithful parents in this world, now it's an opportunity for us to understand that God is a loving parent, a gracious parent, one who's always there for us, one who always cares for us. And that's who Jesus talks to. He starts realizing he can accept this cup that's given to him because he knows who his heavenly father is. It's my father. But herein lies the problem that we face so much in our world, we don't know who to listen to. In fact, we hear so many conflicting voices in our world. One person tells us one thing, somebody else tells us something else. And pretty soon we get ourselves all confused because we don't know who's telling the truth and who's not telling the truth. Don't we even have a term for it that goes around in our society, fake news? And talking about things you can't believe in and And people accuse other people of of giving them fake news. And Jesus cuts through all of that. And he says, let's forget about talking about trusting in human beings right now. Let's talk about trusting in our Heavenly Father and knowing that there is a God who created you, who loves you, who knows you. But who we listen to and who we address is incredibly important. I recently made a decision to go back to school and to enroll in a doctoral program through Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. And I was filling out all of the different things to 
to do my doctor of ministry, and I had to get my references in, and I had to write my personal bio, and it came to a thing that it says, now you need to submit paperwork showing a paper that you did in your master's program or in postgraduate work. And I started to think, I don't think I have any of that. I don't think I kept any of it. I came to the church, and I started looking through files. I couldn't find anything. And I talked to our son, David, and I said, I don't know what to do. They tell me if I don't have a paper to turn in, I need to recreate a paper. And I said, I don't really have time this summer or have a desire to write a 10 to 15-page academic paper on a subject just to be admitted to a graduate program. And he said, why don't you go look on your computer? And I said, well, a guy named Steve Jobs messed that up because a few years ago, when the Apple Cloud came on, uh, my computer did a major upgrade, and all kinds of files were lost, and I could never get them back. And all of the work that I did have on my computer from my time at Gordon-Conwell, I can't access, and I've never been able to figure out how to get it back. One day, I was up here at the church. It was this last week. And I saw somebody in the parking lot, and I walked up to them, and I said, would you do me a favor? I said, would you pray for your pastor? And she said, why? And I said because I'm struggling, I need to get a paper done for an admission to Asbury Seminary, and I just could use some prayers. And I walked into my office, and I sat down at my desk, and I looked down, and I hadn't noticed it for years. I had an old computer sitting there. I think when I moved here in 2005, I must have taken it and stuck it behind a bookshelf. I hadn't even thought about it since. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's from 2005 when I moved here. That's back when I was in doing some work at Gordon-Conwell. I wonder if it is. So I took a power cord, I took it home, I plugged it in, I waited forever for the thing to boot up, and I opened it up, and lo and behold, there was a paper, 25-page paper. I was able to, to turn it in for my admission. I need to know who I'm listening to and who I'm talking to. But then I decided to go back and read the paper. I thought, gee, I wonder like, how this paper was. And much to my surprise, I had forgotten about this, it was a paper on a guy named Samuel Paris. Now, I'm wondering, you can all, if you're thinking about this without Googling it, do any of you know who Samuel Paris is? People here in Plymouth tend not to know who he is. If I was preaching the sermon in Salem, everybody would. He was the pastor of the church that had the witch trials back in the 17th century. And what the paper was on is it matters who you listen to. It matters who you trust in. Because what I had done is I'd gone through all of the sermons. We have 51 sermons that Samuel Paris preached to that church where the witch hysteria broke out. And we have all kinds of historical documents from that time. And I went through and I read them. And I looked at what he was saying to his congregation when he first arrived versus what he was saying when Tichaba and the girls were in the basement of a house doing some things that he and others in the church didn't think they should do that somehow made them think they were dabbling in witchcraft. And what's interesting in what happened is he went from being positive and talking about God and Christ's grace to getting to the very point right before the witch trials broke out where he was accusing people of being devils in his church. And he didn't say the names of who these devils were, but he let everybody know that anybody who was opposing him and opposing others in the church were somehow devils. And well, lo and behold, this sort of goes without explanation those also just happen to be the people who are the first ones who now start getting accused of witchcraft. 
But what I also pointed out in the paper, which is really fascinating, is prior to this experience in Salem, there was a similar thing that had happened in Boston that we never hear about. And there's a pastor by the name of Cotton Mather, and he had a young woman in his church and some people in his church who had the exact same things that were going on that went on later in Salem. These young girls were experimenting with some things and... and having some emotional fits and all sorts of stuff. Only Cotton Mather did something different. He befriended and became close to the leader of that group, even brought her into their home so that he and his wife could minister to them and, and could counsel them. And he learned, instead of getting up and saying anything inflammatory, to calm the whole situation down and to just leave it alone and let time pass. And eventually, the very person who was starting to cause the ruckus and the things that people were uncomfortable with, she became a member of Cotton Mather's church. And so Cotton Mather, before the witch hysteria breaks out, he goes and he meets with Samuel Paris with some other friends, and they say to him very carefully, be careful what you say from the pulpit. Be careful what interpretation you put on these events. Be careful what you say to people, because if you start saying things that start inflaming the fires, things are going to go really bad here. And of course, Samuel Paris doesn't listen to any of that, and instead he starts spewing hatred from the pulpit, and the next thing you have is a witch hysteria that breaks out in Salem, Massachusetts. It matters who we listen to and who we trust. It matters the words we say in the interpretation we put on events. And Jesus knew the same thing as he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't listen to human beings. He didn't go to others and ask about what he needed to do. He knew who absolutely every single time he could trust in, and he took his prayer directly to my father. My father, I'm going to cut out all the stuff that everybody else is saying, and I'm going to listen to you. And I'm going to talk to you because we're in a really bad spot right here. He knew the Roman guards were out to get him. He knew there were plots to end his life. He even had wind of the fact that one of his own disciples had betrayed him. And he gives us an understanding of how to accept that cup that God hands into our life. It begins by knowing who I'm talking to and who I'm listening to. But then the next thing we discover... I need to also know who holds the real power. I need to be clear if I'm going to accept the cup that God has for me in my life, I need to not fool myself into thinking that I have control of it or anyone else has control of it. I need to get to the point if I'm going to accept what God's doing in this world and in my life and God's plans and purposes for me, the good and the things that are struggling and difficult and painful also, I need to understand that it is my Heavenly Father who also holds all power and as much as everybody else may want me to think that they're in control or they have influence, I need to know who real power and where it is held. And so Jesus prays to the one who has all power. As he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And again, he prays that twice. The word for if possible is the word dunamis. It's the word we get dynamite from. If you're willing to act in power, Jesus says, if you're willing to take this away and do something else, please, God, do what you can to help me. 
It's important for us when we are facing the things that have been offered to us in our life to know who we can talk to and say, God, if, if it's your will to change things here, change them. If you want me to go in a different direction, go in a different direction. If you want things to change in my children's lives, God, I can't change them. You change them. If you want things to go different in my country, in my town, in my community, in my church, in my school, in my job, my father... You hold all power. Let me trust in you and quit thinking I have to do it myself. It's interesting as Jesus is praying this prayer about power, it's the same thing about the possibility and the, the power that God has to change things that Jesus had used as a teaching when he was teaching people. And one day he was talking to some people. And they were looking at somebody who was wealthy and who the person thought they could buy their way into heaven. They thought they had all the money and all the power, and so they had complete control over their life. And Jesus said, you know, you can't do that in this world. We may think that we can acquire a lot, and some people like them may think they're better than other people, but they're not. And people may start getting confident to think that they somehow are superior to others, but Jesus says they aren't. In fact, he says it's impossible to buy your way to God. Why, it's easier for a camel, and he's not talking about a little camel, he's talking about a big camel that would fill this sanctuary here. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, Jesus said, than for somebody to buy their way into heaven, than for a rich man to think that he can just get in by his own riches and his own power and his own influence. And the disciples got distraught over that, and they said, well, Jesus, if that's the case, then how can anybody get to heaven? And Jesus uses the same thing he says here in the garden. He says, with us as humans, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. With God, everything is power. Everything is dynamite. God can change and do things we can't imagine. And if we're going to accept that God has a plan and a will in our life, and we're going to submit ourselves to it, and we're going to be able to go to sleep at night and be okay, we need to know, if possible. If possible means, yes, it is possible, because God can do it. We need to learn to live our lives on the simple formula of, I can't, God can. That's where the power comes from. That's where the possibility comes from. And therefore, I'll let him. And so as a cup is being offered to us and we don't know what's in it and that's where every one of us is here this morning it may be about concerns that we have for our country it may be concerns we have for our job it may be concerns we have for our kids going back to school in the fall and we want answers and we want it our way and we want to change it and we want people to listen to us and we need to know that we can pray to our heavenly father my father my dad who listens to me who cares for me and if possible He's the one who has the power to change things, and therefore we can submit ourselves to him, and therefore we can be okay, and therefore we can trust. Because we don't have the power to change stuff, but God does. Jesus knew his father could make a camel go through the eye of a needle. Do you know that God can change everything? Do you know that God can change everything? Do you know that God can change everything? That's what Jesus knew in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
He knew that no matter what was lying ahead and no matter how difficult this cup that was being offered to him, this thing that he couldn't see inside, this future that was completely untold to him, he knew that he was trusting in the one who had the ultimate power to change everything, which brought him to the last thing that he did, and we hear it in this verse, and it's a way for us to be able to be okay with God's will and God's plans in our lives and things that don't make sense to us in this world. I get to decide who to trust. It's not forced on us. It wasn't forced on Jesus. I read the text this last week, and I thought, you know, he could have got up and run out of the garden. He could have just run away. He could have gone and hidden. I thought about it more. I thought, Jesus probably had a lot of friends. He probably had a lot of friends who would have hit him. And he could have gotten out of there, and he could have said, I, this is too much for me. This has gotten too intense, and he could have completely gotten away. It's the middle of the night, away from everything. And guess what? They didn't have a cell phone with a GPS tracking system on him to chase him down. He could have just gone and slipped into the night. But Jesus says, nevertheless, 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 not as I will, but as you will. Nevertheless, I'll listen to you. Nevertheless, I'll do it your way. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus in his humanness, in his human feelings, in his fear of the future, in his looking at a dark cup that doesn't make any sense to him because he doesn't know what's in it. And he knows from the time he's a child, he's been taught about the fact that that cup that's given to us from God can have blessings, but it can have suffering and difficult things in it. And he's looking around him, and he knows things are not looking very good. Nevertheless, he says, after praying twice, God, I know you can change and do anything. Nevertheless, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to submit. When we have a hard time trusting, let's think of Jesus in the garden. Jesus wanted the pain to be kept away. Of course he did. He was a person. None of us wants to suffer. He wanted to be spared from anything that was hurtful. Nevertheless, he said, I'm willing to continue going forward, and I'm accepting the life that you've given to me and the plans and the purposes you have for me. And of course he could, because he knew that his heavenly father was the one who not only was his loving father, not only the one who had all power, but he was the one who created everything anyhow. He knew that this whole world was held together because God was the one who designed it. And and he lived his life realizing no matter what he was facing, he had a relationship with the Heavenly Father and in his humanness. He knew that God knew better than he could. God knew better than anyone else. Because we don't know everything. We don't know the future. We don't know how things are going to work together. We don't know what decision should really be made to bring about the greatest amount of good. Only the one who made everything knows that. A number of years ago, it was mid-1980s, and I was living in Lowell. And my mom and dad were out visiting from North Dakota. And my father, of course, was a pastor, but he was also a piano tuner. And he had kind of this second business that he had, that he did. And he would tune all the pianos for all the churches for free. And Think of it, out, of, out on the prairie, you had a pretty good deal because there weren't a lot of other piano tuners around, trust me, out on the prairie. So if you needed your piano tuned, you called the Methodist minister and Ralph Cushing came over and tuned your piano. And he was out visiting and we had a couple pianos in our church and we owned a piano in our own home, so we brought his piano tuner with him and it was called a cyto tuner. 
And when he got it out of the box after his travel, he started to work on it and he turned it on and the lights wouldn't come on. There's supposed to be some red lights up here that come on, wouldn't come on. Changed the battery, did whatever he could, didn't work. Now he knew a place in Boston that had sold them, so he drove with me into the city and we went to a place and yes indeed, there he were a piano supply company and they sold cytotuners and he said, I'm having problems with my cytotuner and they said, well, the new one will cost you $500. And my dad didn't want to spend $500. And the guy said, but I know someone up in Chelmsford that might be able to help you. So they gave us the address, and Chelmsford was close to Lowell. So my dad and I got in the car, and we drove up to Chelmsford, and we came to an old mill. Now today, like if you go to Cordage Park, all those mills are all fixed up. Back in the early 80s, they were not fixed up. They were kind of scary old places that were left over from the Industrial Revolution, and a lot of them were were empty, and this was this scary old empty mill that we drive into. There's a couple cars in the parking lot, and this great big huge mill building, and there's a sign that tells us that there's some piano guy back there, and we walk in, and everything's sort of decrepit, and looks like something out of a scary old movie, and we keep walking back, and we finally come to a place where there's a door, and we open the door, and we walk inside, and there not only is a cytotuner, there's like parts of cytotuners all over the place. The thing is a total mess. And my dad looks at me, and he goes, I don't know if this is good or if this is bad. And I said, what do you mean, Dad? And he goes, I don't know if this guy fixes cytotuners or just rips them apart, and I'm never going to get mine back. And so we meet the gentleman who owns the business, and his name is Al Sanderson. And we start talking to him, and in the conversation, I do what I do best, which is ask a million questions, and I've got all kinds of concerns and all kinds of questions, and how do I know you're going to fix it, and when are we going to get it back, and, and how long does it take, and why are there so many parts here? And he stops, and he says, wait a second, you don't know who I am, do you? And we say, no, who are you? He goes, I'm Al Sanderson. I invented the cytotuner. I build these. This is my design. Guess what? We got our cytotuner back in perfect condition. That's our challenge with God. He didn't just build the cytotuner. He built you. He built your friends. He built this world. He's a sovereign God creator. He invites us to accept the cup that he offers to us every single day in our life and trust. That we're not just trusting in one who can fix a piano tuner's instrument, but he's one who can take care of all the concerns of our life. That's what Jesus faced in the garden. It was his moment of reckoning and going forward to the cross and accepting everything that God had for him in his life, because we get so preoccupied with trying to change things and manipulate things and make things the way that we want them to be, and fooling ourselves into thinking we have control where we don't have control. And instead, Jesus invites us to accept the cup that's offered to us every day, not knowing what's going to be inside, but choosing to trust because we know it's given to us by my Father, who has all power, who can change everything, but nevertheless, we're invited to put our trust in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to know that we can trust you. Help us to have a heart like Jesus had, to turn it towards you and the work that you're able to do. 
Help us look at the cup that you offer to us today and in the week ahead and in the years ahead and know that that cup comes from you. We don't know if it contains blessings. We don't know if it contains struggles or what combination thereof. But help us accept and know that you know best and live for you today and every day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.